Give me Prozac to make my sadness disappear. And if it don't make me suicidal, I might just be a little happier. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but Motrin will always fix me. And Vicodin will keep the pain away. Take two a day, and we'll send you on your way. Life's like one big hug, living on prescription drugs. Hey everybody, welcome back to Soulcraft, the podcasting for your mind, body, and soul. I'm Michael. I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist for about three years now, and I'm joined by my partner, Tracy. Tracy, how long have you been a therapist for? I have been a therapist for 27 years. Okay, so you've got a little more experience than I do, (laughs) needless to say. Just a couple of years. Okay, awesome. So today we're going to be talking about depression. Like, what is depression? What isn't depression? And some ways that you can treat depression as well as like distinguishing whether, you know, you have depression. Does your husband have depression? Do your kids have depression? So like what's the difference in depression between men, women? Um, What does it look like in kids, you know, or teenagers? Because a lot of us don't know. Right. So like, and it presents differently. So it can it can be depression, but look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Exactly. So like my first question is, what is depression not? So like if I have a bad day and I drop my Starbucks drink walking out and I've spilled my white, well, blah, blah, blah. I spilled my white mocha all over my pants. Is that depression? That is not depression. That sucks for you, but that is not depression. Depression presents itself when it's an ongoing basis. So it's not just having a bad day it's not just something going wrong in your day it's something it's a pattern where you feel down it might interfere with your sleeping it might interfere with your eating it's something that is continual it's not something that is just a situational factor although there is situational depression as well right and I think that is super important to note because like Things happen in life, like you're going to lose your job, somebody might die that you're really close to, you might find out that you are ill. And so what's the difference between grief and depression? That is a very good question. You know, because a lot of things can happen um, in our lives that a lot of people may not look at as grieving, um, such as some of the examples that you gave. And it, it doesn't just have to be someone has passed away. It can be um, your parents are divorced and now you have two separate homes to live in. It can be you had a lifelong pet and that pet passed away. Um, It's very much perspective-based and it's in the eyes of the beholder as far as what grief is to them. Um, But as far as separating depression from grief, grief is more of a situational type stressor um, but it can lead to depression if if you do not successfully work through the stages of grief um, and you avoid it or you just kind of just go 
on living life like nothing has happened, um, grieving, not grieving can lead to depression. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? So um, I think that we're going to do an entirely like insular episode on grief because I could tell you that eating an entire pizza on the couch while watching Netflix is not properly grieving. No, it is not. That is correct. Although I would like to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat an entire pizza. So um, grief comes in waves. Grief is ongoing and it can last as long as depression. So when we talk about depression transitioning or grief transitioning into depression, we are looking at a symptomatic list that is checked off by a mental health professional and or trained doctor. Correct. So um, our sources for today, by the way, are the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health, the World Health Organization, the um, SAMHSA, and the National Institute for Mental Health, or NIM, which you might have recognized from Miss Brisby and the Rats of NIM or the Secret of NIM. It's recognized through those two mediums, but it is a mental health agency. So those are our sources. That way you know that we're just not pulling crap out of the air <laughs> and making things up as we go. So how many check marks, so to speak, um, or if somebody's looking at you and you're talking to them, how many diagnostic criteria do you have to meet to be considered clinically depressed? Well, when we look within, when we're assessing, we look within a two-week period mm-hmm. and we start looking at the things that have been present consistently during that two-week period and either one of the symptoms is the depressed mood or a loss of interest or a loss of pleasure maybe in things that you used to enjoy doing but some of the symptoms include um, depressed mood most of the day nearly every day Um, sometimes it's tearfulness Um, in kids though it's not always that you might see what I hear a lot of parents referencing as attitude Mm -hmm. Um, and attitude can it can be a teenage attitude, but it can also be a symptom of depression and looking at it as irritability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is one of just the many symptoms that can present. And uh, of the list of criteria, in order to be diagnosed as a, as a major depressive episode, there has to be five, at least five of the criteria. And there are nine of them. So um, depressed mood is just one of those symptoms. Okay, so let's run down the, ri- the list. Let's see how well I paid attention in college let's and how that. ready I am to be a, pr- a fully licensed independent practitioner. <laughs> let's do that. So depressed mood, mm-hmm. lack of energy, mm-hmm. loss of interest, increased or excessive weight loss so five percent of body fat within like a month period Um, loss of interest in things you used to like to do Um, excessive worry or guilt irritability is that one yes it is um and i'm blanking on the other two well one of them is uh feelings of worthlessness Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times maybe self-guilt um and did you mention sleep 
I don't think I did. So sleep is a big deal. So a lot of times when you are diagnosing depression, two of the main factors that you're going to pay close attention to is if sleeping habits are messed up or if your eating habits are messed up and being different than the norm, which you mentioned the the weight loss. So that can definitely be in relation to a change in your eating habits. Okay, so let's break this down for the normal person, right? Because that's the goal is to be able to um, help break down, like your girls say, mental illness realness. Like yes. what does this mean for the average person? Right. So like if you have had a major catalyst in your life for change so like we talked about at the top of the episode if you've lost your job if you lost a loved one if you have had a pet die or if you've let's say you thought you were going to be on the pre-med track for in college and then you realize that your grades weren't good enough to get into med school if you're in high school and you feel worried or you're not sure about what the future holds. Like that can lead to depression because you start to feel like, do I really know what I'm doing? Who am I? What does this mean for me as a person? And what if I can't figure it out? Those things lead to depression and those things can be issues long-term. And let's go ahead and break it down to middle school Mm because middle school is torture for our kids. Um, the bullying, um, the the impact of social media, the um, just the peer pressure. And I don't know about you, and I know I'm older than you, but peer pressure isn't the same as what it used to be. Um, and the the involvement of social media in young people's lives is playing a significant role in the increase in depression and anxiety that we are seeing in our kids. Um, you know, one of the things that we didn't mention about depression, and it's obviously one of the most important, is recurrent thoughts of, of death, of suicide. Um, sadly enough, our community has experienced more than enough of, of children who have taken their lives. Um, and it's directly connected to depression and all the stressors that seem to be lying in wait for our kids. What are some of the differences in men in in depression than women? First of all, I think that women obviously are more apt to seek help when they um, feel like there is something that's maybe out of sorts. Maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling quote unquote down um, for longer than what they think is, is, um, appropriate, whatever. Um, but men, men, I think my, this is both my personal and professional opinion. I definitely think there's a lot more, um, representation of anger and aggression with men, um, as it relates to depression. I would say that's true, right? Because men have generally three feelings, happy, angry, and hungry. And if you're not feeling one of those three, then something (laughs) must be wrong. (laughs) So I, I can get on board with that. Yeah, man. So if you're a guy and you're sitting here and you're like, I'm sad, but it makes me cranky. My wife is telling me or my girlfriend is telling me that I haven't had the same energy or I'm changed. Like, look in the mirror and ask yourself, like, what's been going on? 
are you working more hours? Do you feel like you don't have enough energy? Is there something in your life that has changed that has dramatically impacted who you saw yourself as and or your financial situation? Like those are two big things that guys, so like loss of status, whether it's loss of status in a company, loss of status being married, uh, loss of status in a group of friends, like those are isolating. And because men tend to socially isolate more, they're going to be less likely to even have the insight that there's something wrong with them. So guys, I'm talking to you. Like if you're noticing <laughs> these things, if I'm going down this checklist and you're like, hmm, that's that's kind of me. If you feel restless, that might be depression. And we're going to talk about the difference between depression and anxiety in a minute. But like if you can't sit down, if you don't have energy, but you feel like you have to be moving all the time, that's probably depression. And if you get angry at the drop of a hat and you have no justification as to why you're getting angry, that might be depression. What are some of the differences between depression and anxiety? Because those two are the common cold of mental health. Like yes, they're they are. around, I think, 284 million people, according to the World Health Organization, experience depressive symptoms or like could have been clinically diagnosed with depression last year. So what's the difference? Well, you know, oddly enough, we see a lot of clients who deal with those things hand in hand. Um, They deal with both the depression and the anxiety. Um, So they can be co-occurring, but they can also um, present themselves um, individually and separately. So with anxiety, there's a there's a physical aspect to anxiety that includes different ways that our body reacts if we are if we are stressed or if we are scared um one of the things that I always talk to my kids about is that you know God God gave us the response systems that we need so when um when we are scared when we are excited our body starts reacting in the sense of Maybe our palms start sweating or maybe our heart starts racing. Maybe our breathing changes. Um, And those can be in response to both some positive things, but also negative things. And so I think it's important that we recognize that it's not the feeling that is wrong. It's what we do with that feeling that is important because we all get nervous. We all get anxious. I'm sure we all get angry at times. Um, so it's a matter of learning how to deal with um, with the feelings. It's not a matter of there being wrong or right. Um, I see a lot of anxiety in our kids to the point of refusing to go to school, um, not being able to sleep, Um it's, it is rampant in, in our society. So I would say, like, let's just stick into the anxiety portion real fast. Like, anxiety and depression are harder to differentiate. However, some of the big differences with anxiety is there's a constant worry or fear of the future with anxiety whether it's a social situation, whether it's your job, whether it is your family or your finances, those are symptoms of anxiety when I say worry. 
And if I could relate the feeling of constant anxiety or what would be diagnosed as generalized anxiety disorder, think of a steam pipe that is building pressure and it doesn't have a release valve. And that is probably what it feels like internally, like the pressure is building, building, building until you explode and it comes out in anger or irritability. Some people treat their anxiety with depression, uh, not depression medication, but uh, alcohol or marijuana, um, other substances. Like that's a big issue with the mental health community, um, especially because those are so easily accessible. Other people go on to treat their symptoms and we'll talk about depression and trauma as well but like those symptoms through drug use instead of recognizing like this is actually a mental health issue I need to seek treatment as far as kids are concerned what we see with depression is they might be grumpier or they might look sleepier than usual so if you've got an eight-year-old that just lays on the couch all day and doesn't want to do anything so there's no social interaction they don't want to go hang out with their friends they're not picking their boogers and flicking them at their sisters like there's a problem <laughs> so that's a, those are normal gross eight-year-old things and if they're not being gross and they're not being jumping off the walls there might be an indicator that there's something else going on the other th- indicators are you know they're um manifests in body so you said earlier um headaches or stomach aches or complaints that their limbs hurt and so like that's kind of indicators that there might be uh, depression going on and you want to look into that now what are some factors that play into depression in kids we talked about bullying already what are some other things um i think definitely we you and I see a great number of kids who are stuck in the middle of divorces or split families or blended families um, and struggle greatly with that. Um, some, some of my kids for, you know, significant periods of time, which the parents don't seem to understand that their split family, even though they've acclimated to that, it doesn't necessarily mean that their kids have gotten used to the idea that their mom and dad are not going to be together again. So that's definitely something um, we see. But I mean, you know, even even the smallest of situations, it seems our kids are hyper reactive. To me, something that might seem like a normal kids situation where my friend's mad at me because I said something that I shouldn't have said but then the reaction from the other kid is that don't go to school and throwing up some being so nauseous and so worked up about that one situation that they are physically ill um I really do see anxiety as one of the well, depression and anxiety as the as the top two things that we see in in treating our our youth today. Yeah, and I mean, I think the mental health research and statistics go to back that up, right? Yes. Suicidality is the second leading cause of death amongst fifteen to twenty nine year olds. Um, you know what? Another thing I noticed real real popular right now is cutting. Yes, it is. So, like, 
what's the deal? You like, know, the, the thing deal, is, is with with cutting, and unless unless it's something, and this has just been my professional experience, unless it's something that you have done and you have experienced this impact of cutting that these these kids describe it's they talk about it being a release Um, I've heard kids talk about it being I just want to feel something I don't feel anything Um, so I mean it's it's it goes from one end of the spectrum it seems to another so sometimes they're so overwhelmed and they just want to get it out or sometimes they are so numbed to the world around them yeah so if you're a parent sitting here listening to this you're saying my kid's cutting my kid won't get out of bed my kid can't stop watching netflix know that there are factors that you can actively take and we'll get into that in a minute like to help your child but to summarize so kids cut for one of three reasons they're either overwhelmed by emotions and they need to focus on something else they're emotionally numb and they need the physical pain to be able to experience something. Or the third realm, which doesn't fall into depression, we'll talk about it later, there's something else going on there, they like to see the blood. And so if those are one of those three things, you can kind of narrow down and talk to your kids and be like, all right, like I know you're cutting, I know that there's something else going on, like let's get you some help. Things not to do. Tell your kid they're bad. Say that you are the devil. So if your kids are doing any of those things, like, remember, you're the adult. Remain calm. Talk to your children because they will talk to you, hopefully. And And if they don't, get them to someone that they will talk to. The next cause of depression is trauma. And trauma can be grief-related or it can be abuse-related, right? So we talk about PTSD a lot. However depression goes hand in hand with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, It can be depression from physical abuse. It can be depression from sexual abuse. It can be if you're older and you have seen combat or you've been in first response field of work and you have been to a really traumatic call, right? So like wartime trauma, PTSD develops, but also depressive symptoms because of actions or inactions that you perceive that you did or did not take. Traumatic first response call, right? So like death and dying and unresolvable situations are constantly presented with our first responders. Decision, lack thereof, may lead to the development of post-traumatic stress, but also depression. So things, those are other things to look at and take care of yourself. If you're a first responder and you're listening to this, take care of yourself because it doesn't make you a tough guy to ignore your mental health. It makes you a divorced guy. It makes you an alcoholic guy. <laughs> it makes you an angry guy because Most that definitely. is, yeah, that is what depression leads to if untreated. And, you know, Michael, one of the things that, that I continue to be, um, I guess made aware of is that when you're working with a client who you know that you're dealing with trauma and there's there's several things maybe that have that have happened that have been traumatic to that particular client trauma is is through the eyes of the beholder so there have been many times when I've been assessing clients and they go through this whole slew of sometimes terrible horrific 
things in their lives. And the event that might stick out in my mind as the most traumatic isn't what they choose as the most traumatic. And so that that perception, and, it, and it's all about them. It's all about meeting our clients where they are and working through their trauma. But I think it's, it's very um, eye-opening for us to be able to go, okay, it's not about my perspective. It's, it's about this client's, and it's about what they see as the most traumatic event in their lives. That's always interesting to me because, once again, I've had people be like, um, I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. My parents used different substances. And I'm like, all right, what's the most traumatic thing? Well, my dog died. Right. And then you're like, okay, that's so weird in the, the mind of the clinician. And then all of a sudden you find out that the reason why that's traumatic for them is because their dog was the safest, most reliable thing in their life. Exactly. And it's the only thing that they had attached to. Mm-hmm. And the loss of that love of that animal was what kind of sent them over. Like they no longer had an anchor in the world to where they could pour that love or receive that love or attention from that's a great example so man trauma is complex it can be scary and it's a tough thing to work with but the more you know the more you're you know what speaking of of the brain and and how amazing it is one of the things that i have um been amazed at is that in doing trauma work um that our our brain can actually heal itself through the work that we do I mean that our brain can rebuild these synapses and these these I don't know I'm not a I'm not one of those people who knows all that stuff but I do know that um, doing work through trauma and working on depression and learning to manage your emotions plays a significant difference Yes, within our body, but also in every aspect of our lives. It impacts us socially, um, academically, spiritually. And I think we can all ground ourselves more in each of those elements of our lives if we're acknowledging that we have trauma to work on or that we are depressed or that we're dealing with anxiety. So here's some ways to kind of like treat depression. medicine that's like almost the big bad word in the psychology community psychological community Mm -hmm. or just in the general so like what is medication for in depression like what does it do and why are people so like adverse to taking it um you know i think you have both ends of the spectrum i think you have people who are so against medicine but then you also have the people who just want that medicine to to fix it and to make everything better and make all the bad stuff go away. Um, and I think a lot of the an individual's perception is dependent upon their knowledge base as far as what they know about medication versus maybe they have personal experiences. They know someone who's been on medication and it did not go well for them. Or they knew someone who was on medication and it, you know, worked wonders for them. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's one, I don't know that it goes one way or the other as far as 
for or against. I run into both ends quite a bit. Yeah. So what are the, I would say the two main reasons people stop taking their medication? One of the main reasons that I think people stop taking their medication is because they feel better. I feel better. Okay. Do you think maybe you feel better? Maybe because you're taking your medicine. Sometimes um, we run into that a lot with when we're looking at um, dealing with um, someone who's been diagnosed with bipolar, um, someone who's been diagnosed with with depression. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of like when we're given an antibiotic, they say don't, even when you start feeling better, don't stop taking it. Finish your medicine. What were, what were you going to add to that? No, I see that. I would say the other opposite end of the spectrum of that is they feel weird. They say, this is not who I am. This makes me act funny or feel funny, or I feel like my brain is in a haze. If that is going on with you, then you need to talk to your doctor and either switch your medication type or see if they can adjust the dosage because you might be getting too much of the medication. And that's why you're experiencing the clinical term is that, uh, psychomotor retardation or that mental fog that you Mm -hmm. feel um there's a third reason but we're not going to go into this on this podcast um it just has to deal with a lack of libido afterwards so if you guys aren't sure what that word means feel free google it because you will learn something today i promise you okay um Spending time with other people. One of the worst things that we do when we're depressed is isolate ourselves. Everything we do when we're depressed is the exact opposite of what we need to do. So laying in your bed all day with the curtains closed, with Netflix on, and eating that bag of Burger King and fries is the worst thing you can do, dude. Like, it feels good. You don't have the energy to really get out, but you need to find someone to help you get out of that bed and go interact socially because your brain literally needs it. Yes, it does. So the other thing, and we're going to talk more in depth in a minute, you got exercise, 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 because it is the best thing for your brain. If you're feeling overwhelmed and that's what's causing your depression, breaking up tasks into smaller ones and doing what you can when you can, is good what i tell people is to have a task that they can see so mowing the lawn instant gratification you start out with a task and then you end up with a finished result within an hour to an hour and a half and it looks fantastic and you can feel good about it because you've accomplished something that day delaying important decisions until you feel better dude never ever remember halt b Never make major life decisions when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or bored. We'll talk about mindfulness in another episode, but uh, that is a big thing because in the midst of our anxiety or depression, we can feel so pressured to jump onto a decision that we end up making uh, uninformed and ill-equipped decisions for ourselves and others. Keeping daily routines. So if you can wake up and do something, whether it's read scripture, meditate for a little bit, have a morning cup of coffee and stare at the birds outside your window. Like, do that, go to work, come home. If you can socially engage, whether it's with your family or with a friend if you're single or even if it's 
uh, with a small group at church, whatever it is, at least one to two times a week, you're socially engaging. That's very helpful. And the last thing is avoiding alcohol or drugs. It's super easy to fall into. It's an instant relief. Um, and a lot of people turn to that to medicate. Yes, they do. Which then in turn leads to another round of issues. And then we have co-occurring issues with depression and the alcohol and drug use. Yeah, once you're there, it's hard to quit. So the other thing, so I want to talk for a minute about why eating healthy is important and why exercise is important. And I'm going to read from the there are terms that are bigger than me. <laughs> but um, so eating healthy is important because when we take a holistic approach to our mental health, like we're not just saying, okay, our mind is sick. We're saying we need to make sure that the vessel that is carrying our mind, our body, is being nourished properly. So going back to the Burger King bag of fries, double Whopper you just ate, yeah, it might feel good for about 30 minutes. And then how do you feel? Bloated and gassy. You feel disgusting. However, like when you're putting in uh, nuts, protein, uh, vitamins and nutrients you get from vegetables, so like broccoli, cauliflower, salad, carrots, whatever it is that you choose, whatever vegetable that you're ingesting, like you are getting your micro and macronutrients, which is going to lead to healthier brain function. So like they talk about omega-3s and fatty acids being healthy for your heart and brain. It's super important because your physical health is directly correlated to your mental health. And then exercising. So here's what happens when you exercise. It's crazy. But so your blood flow increases, your brain gets more oxygen and nutrients, and it induces a release of beneficial proteins in your brain. So like what that does is those proteins keep the brain cells or your neurons healthy and they promote growth of new neurons and neurons are the building blocks of our brain. So for those of you guys that didn't get biology or if you guys haven't gotten to your degree, your doctoral degree Mm -hmm. in neurobiology or neuroscience, there's a quick uh, Michael Mesmer breakdown for you. So So easy a caveman can understand it. I'm telling you. So I'm a, I was a Marine. If I can understand this, like, I believe you guys can too. So, and then the other thing that happens when you exercise is your body releases chemicals. So the chemicals they release are dopamine um, and endorphins. So those are kind of the natural release of feel-good chemicals. They reduce stress and anxiety. So, and then the other thing that happens when you exercise is your body releases chemicals so the chemicals they release are dopamine um, and endorphins so those are kind of the natural release of feel-good chemicals they reduce stress and anxiety and you're also getting rid of some of the toxins that your body has been carrying Um, people who've exercised tend to improve your mental abilities you create Um, those neural pathways and so you're getting better test scores and then people who haven't exercised like the studies have shown is like those people aren't performing as well on those mental the mental obstacles that have been laid before them and then the last thing that exercise does is it improves your long and short-term memory so it increases your brain's plasticity the ability to uh, mold and grow and change our brain never stops 
growing and changing. That's the amazing thing. We used to think that it stopped as a child, but what we're learning is even in older adults, like their brain is still retains some of that plasticity, which is kind of interesting to me. So, all right. So there's other treatments that you can use, and those are brain stimulation treatments. And these are used in kind of like major depressive episodes where medication and talk therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, haven't worked. And those are called electroconvulsive therapy, right? So we used to call it shock therapy. Think the old-timey doctor in the mental hospital putting probes on each side of your head and giving you a shock. Not done like that anymore. It's much more medically controlled. And it's still, oddly enough, one of even though it seems barbaric, one of the most effective ways to treat uh, depression that has been non-responsive to medication and talk therapy. The other one that's really cool, and it's just on the cutting edge, is called uh, transcranial magnetic, magnetic stimulation. And what that does is it targets an area of your brain and uses uh, magnets, essentially, to stimulate that area of the brain, and it results in a decrease in depressive symptoms. So that one is not as well known. It's still a very cool treatment. And then there, the last thing is holistic approaches, and those fall into the health and wellness category. So things like vitamins and supplements, B12, things like that, that are known to increase energy and mood. I'm not advocating that holistic approach be replacement for medication that has been thoroughly researched and uh, approved by whatever government that you for the country you live in if you're listening to this in the UK I have no idea what your approval agency is so for the US the FDA the FDA has researched it approved it said this is safe for society Um, however like taking a holistic approach to your mind body and soul is very beneficial in your treatment of depression very well said. Thank you. Yes. So, all right, last thing. What can you do if you have tried exercise and things yourself and you cannot shake this feeling? Well, I think one of the things we've talked about um, is going to your doctor. I think that when we are treating what we think might possibly be depression, we need to make sure that there's not something medical going on. So always going to your doctor and making sure that you get a good workup, that that it's not possibly a thyroid issue or not possibly some other medical issue going on because depression can definitely mimic symptoms um, that are a result of a medical condition. So we always want to rule out the medical um, before we immediately jump to some type of um, either antidepressant or mental health intervention. Um, of course, I'm going to say that therapy is always a good thing. Um, I think everybody should have their own therapist for at least a little bit in their lives. Um But, you know, relying on that support network that you have, um, whether it's family or friends, might be your pastor, might be the youth minister if you're a kid, Um, but reaching out to a trusted person, and for you kids, a trusted adult 
who can help guide you as to maybe what your next step needs to be. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's the triad of mental health, right? So social support, therapy, medication, those three things will almost guarantee that you are successful in the treatment of your depressive symptoms, man. So the other thing is like if you're in the middle of a crisis, call 911. Go to the emergency room. Don't go to your mental health clinic. Go to the emergency room. Usually they have an expedited process to uh, get you a bed at an inpatient facility till you can so you can be monitored and made sure you're safe. So if you feel like you're going to kill yourself or you feel like you want to kill someone else, go seek that treatment, man. Uh, there's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's the Veterans Crisis Line. If you're a veteran, you can call 1-800-273-8255. It's the same number, and then just press 1. And if you're not comfortable with talking to people on the phone, there's a suicide crisis text line. And the number for that is 741-741. You can text anything to talk. You can text a smiley face and someone will start responding to you. So, like, don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Like, there are avenues. Your life is worth living. You can beat this that you're experiencing. So, last thing loved ones like what can your loved ones do to help you if you have depression should they tell you to get up out of bed and pull yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't work i have found does not work what about telling them to get rid of their phones you know what getting rid of their phones is not going to cure their depression um and i don't think it's something that um, most people are going to respond to am i all about limiting what's on your phone and what's on your screens because of our reaction to it. Yes, I think that's significant. Okay, so you can't just like tell yourself to get better one day and then get better. Nope. Okay, so what can we actually do? So, depends on if you feel like you are capable of doing some of these things, but I mean, if you can, like Michael, you're talking about getting up and 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 being physical and getting active getting moving honestly one of the basic things that is so overlooked and so underrated is drinking water drinking water is something that just replenishes our body and we do not give it near enough is water going to fix depression no but it's going to make you feel a lot better and then you can decide Okay, are these symptoms still present, and do I need to go further and check this out? Um, one of the things that I think is really important, too, is learning to be um, grateful and keeping a, a gratitude journal because it is so easy to get lost in the negative because we are surrounded by it. We are surrounded by so much bad um, and so it's it's easy to go down that path where we really have to challenge our own thinking and focus on the small small blessings that we have in our lives each and every day that we tend to overlook when we get into a funk or into a depressive state now again I think those are just some of the minor things that that can be done when you're looking at maybe a minor depressive episode. 
What are some of the things that you think we can do, Michael, in dealing with either minor or a major depressive episode? All right. So I just want to answer the family support first. All right. So like, let's say you're 25. Grandpa's 85. He just got diagnosed with lung cancer um, and he is depressed. So things that you can do as a family member to help them is check in on them, regularly visit, take them out to do things. Don't let their depression become their identity. So a lot of times if you're experiencing depression like that, those feelings can become how you identify yourself. You're like, I'm just depressed, man. I can't do it. You can do it. So if you're a family member, get them out, like take them to a ball game, take them. If you, if you, if you don't have a ball stadium near you, shoot, like take them out for a walk, take them out to eat, do something that engages them. And if they're resistant to that, find something that you can do in their space. So whether it's crafting or playing a game of cards, something that's going to force social interaction, because once again, that's going to increase their feelings of self-worth. You can monitor them and challenge them. Some people that work, some people, they're completely against it. So like challenging them to get up and work out with you. That's a good thing. Challenging them to uh, rethink what they're saying. Okay, is that true? Is that not true, dude? Like you're not the worst person on the face of the planet. Are you Hitler? No. Have you? Are you responsible for the death of millions? No. Don't be so full of yourself. You're not that great to be the worst person on the face of the planet. All right. You, you are a good person. And so reminding them of their positive qualities is important. And then major depressive dis- symptoms. And that's something we didn't talk about. When does major depressive disorder turn into persistent depressive disorder? When it goes on for a period of, I do believe, is is because per, persistent is the the new dysthymia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we it's switched two, it up on them. Yeah, it's a two year period. So I mean, if you are looking at um, having been in a constant state of depression for two years, you are way past due and needing to shake things up and do things a little different and get some help going. Yeah. That's a sucky place to be. Absolutely. So there, there's a minor overview of depression. There's a minor overview of what therapy is and what it can offer you and some ways that medication can be beneficial and other treatments out there. If you're curious, like, please feel free to email us at admin at fyswellness.com or you can tweet at us our twitter handle is at fyswellness or you can hit us up on facebook feel free email us your comments questions concerns if you have a family member that you want to seek help like hit us up because we'll be there and we'll help and if you're not in jackson tennessee like you can still email us and we'll address some of those questions on the show so you guys thanks for joining us y'all have a fantastic evening and Two, three, four, one, two, give me Prozac to make my sadness disappear. 
And if it don't make me suicidal I might just be a little happier Sticks and stones can break my bones But Motrin will always fix me If I could in, we'll keep the pain away Take two a day And we'll send you on your way Life's like one big hug Living on prescription drugs There always seems to be a smile on my face Whoa, whoa Do, 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 do And riddlings like glasses for my brain When I just cannot concentrate My heart beats going crazy But I can focus harder than a teen read playboy Trazodone puts me to sleep I dream of pharmaceutical queens Take two a day And we'll send you on your way Life's like one big hug Living it up on prescription drugs There always seems to be a smile on my face From sick days Sexless nights These little magic pills Will make everything alright And sure there might be side effects But there's more drugs to counteract them And I'll be smiling as long as I can Take two Drugs. There always seems to be a smile